I think that we have to be careful about target audience in terms of how we maybe sort of sell some of the practices to the teachers. Because if in the end, the teacher is the person delivering the instruction, they need to, they need to be fully invested. You know, one of the worst things that we do is say that we want things to be authentic in the classroom. And then, you know, you do a top down thing, you hand a teacher something and say, go do it and act enthusiastic. And if they don't really believe in it, they don't really sell it that well. And I, I think that hurts the outcomes for you thinking about where you used to do maybe a more direct model, like you would push into the classroom, do presentations and, and then, you know, and then leave it to the teacher. Now seeing it from the outside perspective, but also having some experience in the classroom doing these presentations and teaching, how do you feel like teachers respond when, when say the school division picks up your program, you know, when, when say the superintendent or school board or whoever it may be says, um, we're doing move this world for this year, the next couple of years, in the end, whether you sell the school board or not, you still have to sell the teachers. And so what are the responses that you've seen from teachers and how much or how little does it vary between a second grade teacher and a 10th grade teacher or between a math teacher and an English teacher? Like what, what's the, what's the response you get from the classroom teachers? Mm -hmm. So first I'll say that, over the last 13 years, our program has evolved to be delivered in this way because of teacher feedback. So we began as a direct service model, then it became very clear that this wouldn't stick. If we just parachuted into a building and then parachuted out, what would happen if we weren't there to teach and cultivate these social emotional skills in students? So then we evolved to a train the trainer model where we supported teachers in um, strengthening their own personal social emotional wellness and the social emotional wellness of their students. But then we heard from teachers, okay, this is great. We go through these trainings. We laugh, we cry, we play, we connect. We understand that social emotional learning is important, but then you all leave. And now what? We need tools that we can actually implement. And that's when we disaggregated and unbundled our evidence-based pre-K through 12 content into nuggets or kernels that could be used in bite size format and short form video. And we filmed ourselves on our phones doing these exercises and emailed them to teachers. This was in probably 2013. And they said, yes, thank you. This is exactly what we were looking for. And that's when we then really shifted our identity to be a media company that goes into production every year and um, shares short form video that teachers can use and parents can use to anchor uh, their students days. Are those videos and, meant, oh, sorry. Are those videos meant for the adults or do the adults show the videos? Do they watch them with the students? With the students, okay. with the students. But we as adults benefit too, because as I'm asking my students to take five deep breaths, as I'm asking my students to reflect on a challenge that they're facing and think about a goal that they have, um, for the week, I'm also doing the same thing. And one of my favorite examples of that is a teacher also in Metro Nashville Public Schools who shared with us that she was going through a really difficult time. She was feeling very overwhelmed and burnt out. And she was driving home at the end of the day and said, you know what? I asked my students to take five deep breaths and calm down. Why aren't I doing the same thing? And so she began a practice where when she left the building every day and she got in her car, she would begin to take five deep breaths. And that allowed her to center herself and ground herself before she moved in to her home and she could be a better mother, wife, 
person in the world. And so we certainly as adults benefit from doing this work alongside our students. But this is all to say that our model evolved from direct service, train the trainer to now uh, short form media, short form video based on teacher feedback. And we know that teachers have so much that they're responsible for and have to play the role of subject matter expert or teacher and social worker and guidance counselor and friend or grandparent, all the roles that we look teachers to fill. And we can't even, you know, ask teachers to get through their email. So instead of being a curriculum in a box or a curriculum in a binder that's stuck on a shelf, this is a living, breathing entity that is intended to be brought to the forefront of the classroom to integrate into the DNA and operating plan of how we run our classrooms and how we run our schools so that this can be a common language from student to student, from student to teacher, from teacher to administrator, from student to administrator. And teachers, the, the overwhelming response that we receive is that this is so easy to use. There's no planning or prep required. All they have to do is press play. And they appreciate that because there is so much that they're responsible for that they don't want to lesson plan or prep yet another thing. And because it is delivered through bite size what I would call micro moments of five to eight minutes, we're not eating into their instructional time of having to build in 30 minutes of diversity appreciation or 30 minutes of self-awareness. Like, okay, it's Wednesday, 10 a.m., we're going to stop what we're doing and talk about anger management, but rather interweave this into the forefront of how we all interact in the classroom. That's great. And, you know, I think you're making a lot of very smart decisions, both in terms of how teachers are going to respond because the more contained yet malleable, like the teacher can sort of adapt in how they want to have the discussion, but you have this contained video, it's ready to go. Uh, and that's really important. You know, I think that for anybody who's in the educational sort of entrepreneurial space, you know, it, the number one way to sell something to a teacher is this, this saves you time or this mm -hmm. doesn't take you time, you know, and then, then I think yeah. that that's very important. You also, from a business standpoint, I mean, you have something that is now infinitely more scalable than when you were working in a direct model, you know, now mm -hmm. it's not how many trainers can we hire? It's just, that's right. can we produce, can we produce the materials in terms of using the materials? I'm now thinking from the high school perspective, this fits, you know, in an English class pretty easily. Um, you know, I always say that I end up writing more letters of recommendation than most people in my building just because it's English class. We have discussions. I read your journals. We have these talks. So I get to know the kids pretty well, even the quiet kids, because I'm still reading your stuff. We get to sort of see how you think. Um, and and it, it, I'm certainly not saying that other teachers aren't doing that or making great connections. They certainly are. But I think that it's harder on average for your math teacher or your chemistry teacher to do that because the content is less personal. You know, like when you're in a class in the humanities, it's perfect. It, it's a natural fit that you can address all the different aspects of what it is to be human in relation to your content. If you're teaching geometry or you're teaching, you know, AP chem, it's not that they're not making that human connection. It's just that that connection isn't part of the curriculum. It's not part of the, the assigned content. How does that work? Say in a high school STEM class, or, and I, I don't know, or is it something that doesn't have to be done in the STEM class because it's done through your homeroom or through your English class or whatever else? Like, how does, how does this play out in, say, some mm -hmm. of the STEM classrooms or the more technical fields at the high school level? Mm -hmm. So we encourage teachers to use this with their students every day. That said, our research shows that doing this three times a week 
shows an improvement in climate and culture with regard to suspensions, incident reports, et cetera. So similarly how I may prefer to exercise six or seven days a week, but three days a week is the minimum for what my body needs to be healthy. When we say this should ideally happen every day, typically this happens at the elementary level, um, you know, right at the start of the day. And then there's a practice at the end of the day. At the middle school, there's often an advisory or whoever runs the, whoever holds first period, it happens in that class. And then at the end of the day, high school, similarly, if there is an advisory, it can live there or whoever happens to have first period and then the last period. So what's important is not that it's with the same teacher and the same group of students every day. Another exercise analogy, but I prefer to exercise in the morning, early in the morning before my children wake up. You might prefer to exercise in the evening. It doesn't really matter when we exercise. What matters is that we do it because we want this to be as easy as possible to do. So our program team talks to schools and districts about their schedules, their limitations, and identifies where this might best fit in their day. We recommend to start the day and end the day, but if it makes more sense to do it on the way back from recess or before lunch, that's fine. We want to do this in a way that supports teachers, that isn't an extra burden, that isn't a heavy lift, but can seamlessly be a just press play moment bringing social emotional learning into the classroom. And because it is personal in nature, and you you pointed out the many sort of hats that teachers are asked to wear sometimes that can, mm-hmm. that can make these things tricky. What is your advice, I guess, for a teacher who is less comfortable in this situation? You know, as you pointed out, talking about taking five deep breaths or drinking a glass of water is a little different than asking students to be vulnerable and to share mm-hmm. how they're feeling, what's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I handle all kinds of stuff. We get into all kinds of weird stuff in, in my class. And so I, I wouldn't be uncomfortable with that discussion. But I understand, I know people who would be, and I understand why that might be. What do you advise or what do your trainers advise when you hear teachers who are hesitant? Because obviously you're going to have students who are hesitant too. You can't grab the students until you have all or nearly all the teachers in the building on board. And and mm-hmm. so when someone says, I'm fine with the five breaths, but I don't want to talk to Billy about what he was doing at home on Saturday night. Right. What's, your, what's your advice for teachers who are feeling that way? Like, hey, that's that's not really my job kind of deal. So I'm hearing kind of two questions. So the first is, um, I'll answer the, what I think is the first and then the second. So the first is that this is a tier one approach to connect to every student because classroom teachers are the teachers, are the adults who know their students best, who interact with their students the most, who ideally see them or connect with them every day. Move This World is not a replacement for a mental health professional. This does not replace a guidance counselor or a social worker. That said, the ratio of mental health professionals in schools to students is wildly inadequate. A mental health professional cannot check in with a student every day, every student every day, to know how he or she is feeling or how their night was or how their morning's been, but a classroom teacher is already with their students. So if we can build in five minutes of contained and structured time for teachers to take the emotional temperature of their students, to know what their students are coming into the space with, 
then they can take that information and use it accordingly as they move through the day interacting with their students. If I hear that you, Ryan, are anxious or sad or worried a couple days in a row, I can either pull you aside and have you a, com- a conversation with you and ask, what's going on? How can I help? Or connect you to a mental health professional. But if I don't even know that you are sad or worried or anxious, I don't even know that, I, that you need help. And I don't even know to connect you with a mental health professional. So this isn't replacing the role of a mental health professional. We're not asking teachers to become therapists. We're helping bridge the gap because there are not enough mental health professionals in schools to support all of our students' needs. And classroom teachers can help that process of connecting students who need support or even just checking on students and knowing how they're feeling, knowing, hey, okay, maybe you're hungry because you didn't eat breakfast this morning, or maybe you're tired because there were sirens in your neighborhood last night. And all of those factors of being tired or hungry, they impact our ability to learn. It doesn't matter if I'm in my seat and I'm attending school every day, if I'm not ready and able to learn. And we understand now the science of trauma and stress on our brain and executive functioning, and that impacts our ability to process information. So That's the first thing I would say. Um, And then what I think is your second question is that um, this work is certainly uncomfortable. Self-work is hard. It wouldn't be valuable if it wasn't. And we do encourage teachers to be vulnerable alongside their students because it allows students to be vulnerable themselves more quickly. It allows us to create a safe and supportive learning environment. If I see that my teacher or my leader is doing this for himself, if he is authentically connecting to his feelings and expressing himself, then that helps me do it as a student. It also helps to acknowledge the awkwardness. And our videos, especially at the middle and high school level, try to do that. We try to call out that Look, it might feel weird and awkward to move your body in a certain way. It might feel uncomfortable to express yourself in this way. But um, if we all do it together, we can build a more safe and supportive community where we can connect to, to one another more meaningfully. If we understand the science behind kinesthetic empathy, so the kinesthetic construct of empathy, if we understand the science of mirror neurons, of mimicking with our bodies what each other is doing in our bodies that we are then we are establishing a more profound empathetic connection than we would otherwise with words then we can help students and adults who may be resistant understand the value in creative practices so absolutely there is resistance especially if you've never done this work at home in your life with your family but we try to share science behind positive psychology and social emotional learning. We share the success stories of the research and the impact that we've seen from doing this across the country over the last 13 years. And we try to share stories of students in similar age groups and teachers who have taught similar ages to help inspire confidence in those who may be more resistant. 